Hello, folks. <clears throat> hello, hello. Welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. I'm so glad to be able to spend a little more time with you. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the host of the On Being Christian podcast. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, one that we do not take lightly. By any means, we enjoy it very much, and we honor the fact that you who listen choose to spend a little time with us. I'd like to talk to you today about four concepts concerning Christianity, and then what results from these four concepts, Um, and then I'll share with you at the very end why it is particularly important to me. Specifically, it's it's become very important to me on days like today and days like tomorrow. I'll tell you this just by way of introduction, and then I'll get into this idea from the scripture that I'd like to share with you. Today, where I am recording this, it is June 4th, June 4th, 2023. I'm going to release this most likely this evening, and so you'll have it June 5th. The reason that those dates are important to me particularly is because on June 5th, 2005, I was in Iraq with the 3rd Battalion, 8th Marines, and I know that sometimes um, some of this information that I'm giving out might be considered a little bit too much, but on June 5th, 2005, right outside of Camp Fallujah, um, between Fallujah and a place called Nasser Wasalam, my vehicle was hit by three 155-millimeter howitzer shells that were tamped, which means they were directionally aimed um, and exploded on command on my vehicle. The shrapnel that was a result from that explosion uh, injured the Marine fatally, though we did not know that it would be fatal, directly behind me um, and, uh, and filled me with a few uh, mementos to take home. We immediately were in an ambush directly after that, and so <clears throat> it took some time to get through everything and to get the most wounded of us to a place called Bravo Surgical in Camp Fallujah, Iraq. That's where we took uh, a young man in, uh, a Marine that served with me. He was 21 years old. Um, we took him in, and um, they kept him, and uh, he, he fought for his life. But tragically, he lost his life on June 6th, the following day, 2005. Uh, And um, I went back to work, but um, I was never quite the same. From that day to this day, and I I didn't used to give a lot of weight to this, but there is a concept in psychology concerning the body's memory of certain dates, uh, anniversary dates, pivot points in a person's life where they've gone through something that changed the way they feel or think or act concerning reality. Abnormal responses to abnormal situations are in fact normal, so I'm not entirely caught up with the whole disability mindset concerning these types of things. But nevertheless, I had to learn over time that even if I didn't understand it, I would go through certain things around these dates. And uh, tomorrow is definitely one of those dates. One of the things that I found a lot of comfort in, a lot of uh, encouragement in, is this verse that I'd like to share with you today. 
and then um, and show you four concepts that lead to three realities that have literally, quite literally, changed my life, even uh, most possibly saved my life. The verse is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. I'll read it for you. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, I know right off the top, that's not something that you may think directly relates to the story I just told you, but it does. It does in a very real way. And let me explain why. I don't know of anybody that I've ever met in my entire life that has gone for a very long period of time where they haven't needed forgiveness or, or someone to hear them or for them to be healed. <clears throat> in fact, this is kind of the definition of the human experience. We all would very much like someone to hear us. We would like someone at some point to find the value in us, in us enough for them to find it in their heart to forgive us. And then at the end, we would very much like to be healed or made whole, uh, to, be, to be better. And that's certainly how I felt coming out of different points of service in the U.S. Marine Corps. It didn't really feel like very many people could understand what I was talking about or what I was going through. And I had a real hard time forgiving myself or forgiving others, um, just, just the reality of it. And as a result of that, there was a lot of pain. There's a lot of trauma for a long time. And I understand, like I said, some of this might seem kind of personal, and I guess I, I suppose that it, it, quite, it, it quite is. Um, but I, I just want to share with you from the Bible the four things that led to my realization that, you know, it might not be all about the medications and the psychotherapy treatments and all the stuff. It might just be as simple as these four realities that I'd like to share with you concerning the value of putting myself in a place where I can be heard when I need to be heard, when I can be forgiven, when I need to be forgiven, and when I need to be healed, I can be healed. It starts with the very first word that we see, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people, my people, uh, quite literally, we're talking about those who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. You say, well, that's not who we're talking about in the Old Testament. Well, I understand, just bear with me here, uh, people who love the Lord, people who have accepted the doctrine of God in their life. If my people, which are called by my name, and that's what Christians are, Christians for first called Christians at a place called Antioch, not because they chose the name Christian, but because they behaved in such a way that people said that they acted like Christ. And so Christian, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. That's the first thing I want to share with you. The value of humility, the value of humbling yourself. The Bible says this is the first thing out of the four that we're going to see from this reference in Scripture that leads to the ability to be heard when you need to be heard, to be forgiven when you need to be forgiven, and on a long enough timeline, you will do something that requires you to be forgiven. That's just the way it is. That's the human condition. And then also to be healed. And I've never met anyone that didn't need healed. I've been there, and as a pastor, I've been there when many others were seeking the healing power 
of Christ or even the healing power of forgiveness from someone in their life that they loved, in order to get to those three realities, the first thing I want you to understand is this concept of humility, humble yourself. The word humble here is simply a word that means to maintain a low or small or slight, almost like an insignificant base. It's having low, a low estimate of one's importance, worthiness, or merits marked by absence of self-assertion or self-exclamation. It's marked by the absence of self-assertion or self-exclamation. And so when we see this word, humble yourself, now I know, I want you to understand at some level this goes against many aspects of the society and the culture that we live in today. The society and the culture and the culture that we live in today talks about um, putting yourself first and loving yourself and understanding your worth, but it doesn't say that you need to understand your worth based off of the sacrifice and effort you've put into making yourself worth more. It just says to understand your worth based off of just subjective opinions about what you think you're worth, and that's not what humility is. Humility is not deciding what you are and then demanding everyone else live in the reality that you created for yourself. Humility is about understanding that without work, without sacrifice, you do become more stagnant in the state in which you were naturally, which is not worth much. You say, that's kind of harsh. Well, folks, I want you to understand something. If you're going to be worth something to other people, it's going to take work. Work on your part. If you're going to become valuable to other people or to the society or to the neighborhood or the the community that you live in, it's going to be because you put them first and you sacrifice yourself. This is what I'm talking about when I am talking about humility. It's the lack of self-assertion or self-exclamation. In other words, I'm not going around putting my opinions and my ideas and my subjective concepts first in my dealings with other people, I'm putting them last. And then self-exclamation, or, or, or you could also say self-exaltation. I'm not exalting my own name. I'm not, uh, you've heard the term, uh, he's tooting his own horn. That is the opposite of humility, the opposite. So I want you to understand here, the first thing on the road to healing, to being heard, to being forgiven, is this concept of humility. And we find this all throughout the Bible. Uh, For time's sake, I'm just going to give you these references here. 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21, 17 through 29 is the context. In verse 27, you'll see this phrase, he went softly. And then verse 28 Uh, It defines what going softly looks like. It says, humbleth himself before me. And this is a reference if you'd like to read it for your own. I'm just kind of referencing the words that we find in there that helps us understand the idea of humility. It means to go softly, to lower yourself before someone else, to put other people first, not just in uh, your thoughts, but in your actions, to literally put them before yourself. The Bible says that this is one of the first steps to setting myself up so that when I need to be heard and when I need to be forgiven and when I need to be healed, those things are readily available to me through the reality of the humility that I express to those in the world around me before 
I actually need to be heard, forgiven, and healed. In 2 Kings chapter 22, basically 1 through 13, and then again in chapter 22, 16 through 20, you'll see some incredible verses here. The same story is found in 2 Chronicles 34, 1 through the end of the chapter, verse 33. In verse 11, it says, When the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes, 12 through 13 says, and the king commanded, it goes on to say, go ye inquire of the Lord for me. And so this is a story about when the king had found the book, the, the book of the law or the Old Testament, the Bible in storage, it was read to him and it had been lost for some time. And he realized through the reading of the word of God that the life that they lived or the life that they were living at the time was not in keeping with the law that was laid forward. And he greatly feared the Lord. He humbled himself. He told his his men, go ye, inquire of the Lord for me. Verse 19 says, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. It goes on to say that the things that the law said would happen because of rejection of the Lord, the Lord didn't do that. Why? Because the king's heart was tender. That's that word that we're talking about here. Tender hearted humble, the lack of self-assertion or the lack of self-exaltation. I want you to understand, if you'd like to be forgiven and heard and healed, it starts with a humble mindset from you to the whole of the outside world. The lack of self-assertion and self-exaltation, it's a having a low estimate of one's importance or worthiness. It doesn't mean to think less of yourself than what you are. It just means to be very, very aware that what you might think you are, you certainly aren't. You certainly aren't. Be aware of who is greater than you. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and live a life that is in the continual exaltation of him and not me. John the Baptist, by the way, he, uh, he was said by Jesus Christ himself that there was not a man born of woman that was more worthy than John the Baptist. And he, John the Baptist, said with respect to his opinion of his value versus Jesus Christ's value, he said, he must decrease, or he said I must decrease and he must increase. And that's what John the Baptist said. I must decrease and Jesus Christ must increase. That's the type of humility that I'm talking about. The realization that in comparison to the life of Jesus Christ, mine is not worthy, and it is in his life that I can have cause and purpose in the life that he's given me. Second Chronicles chapter 12, 1 through 14 shows us another story about humility. Verse 6, the Bible says, The princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. Verse 7 goes on to say, When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves... He goes on to say, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. Verse 12 says, when I, when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned. So you understand, here's a story in which people were filled with pride, made certain decisions that led to very bad results, and when they were called out on the carpet for it, they humbled themselves, and the result of their humility turned the heart of the Lord. The Bible says, they humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them. He turned, humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned. And so if I want to be in a place where I can be heard by the Lord, if I want to be in a place where I can be forgiven by the Lord, 
if I want to be in a place where I can be healed by the Lord, it starts with humility. Humility, the lack of self-exaltation. You see, again, in, in 2 Chronicles, the Second Chronicles is full of these. Chapter 32 has a wonderful story. You find the same story in 2 Chronicles 32. You find it in 2 Kings 18. In verse 26 of 2 Chronicles chapter 32, the Bible says, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. And as a result of that, the Bible goes on to say, the wrath of the Lord came not upon them. I want you to understand, every time in the Word of God, we humble ourselves. Every time in the Word of God that a person is recorded as, as humbling themselves, the result of that humility is God's wrath is turned away. God's judgment is turned away. Humility. Humility. Sometimes it's a little bit easier said than lived, especially for men. Sometimes that ego can make us think we are more than we really are. But the Bible says if you want to have a relationship with the God of heaven who can hear, forgive, and heal, it starts with the realization and the continual living in your life in real time of a mindset concerning humility. In Second Chronicles uh, 33, and then basically through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 12 through 13, he humbled himself greatly before God. Uh, then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Verse 19, before he was humbled, verse 23, humbled not himself, trespassed more and more and more. So what's the result of not humbling ourselves? And I'm, forgive me, I'm going over these stories very quickly. I just want you to understand that every story in the Bible that talks about humility comes across in one of two ways. Either they humbled themselves and the wrath of the Lord was turned and they, they were heard and forgiven and healed, or they didn't humble themselves, they hardened their hearts, and that the result of that was that they, they led, it was almost like they led themselves further into the confusion. The Bible says they trespassed more and more. Second Chronicles 36, 12 says he humbled not himself, and the very next verse says he also rebelled, he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning. And so every time we do not humble ourselves, the result is that we become the worst version of ourselves possible. The lack of humility produces versions in ourself that make the resulting consequences of our lack of humility devastating, first to ourselves. And the reality is no man is an island. And so if I'm going to live a life of pride and arrogance and no humility, then not only am I going to trespass more and more, but those who I love and those who are attached closest with me or to me will pay the price at just as high and sometimes higher than a level uh, than, than I myself will. Job chapter 22, verse 20, 29, you see this phrase. He says, he shall save the humble person. God, talking about God, he shall save the humble person. In Job, or excuse me, Psalm 9, 12, the Bible says he forgiveth not the cry, or excuse me, forgetteth not the cry of the humble. You see the same thing in chapter 10, 12, and 13. And then Proverbs 6, 3 says, humble thyself, make sure thy friend. I understand humbleness or humility is going to put me in a place where God can hear and forgive and heal me. Uh, he won't forget those who are humble. The cry of the humble is not one that the Lord forgets. And the lack of humility pushes me further and further down the road of making horrible decisions. 
I used to be a fighter. <clears throat> I've said that a couple times, and one of the things that I understood as a fighter is if I could make my opponent angry, though he felt like he was becoming unrestrained and the anger might help him win the bout, I knew that the hastiness and the lack of logic and clear thinking when a fighter is angry is only beneficial to me. So if you could make a fighter angry, he would act irrational. And it allowed the, the calmer, more well-trained fighter to win just based off the fact that he was in control of his emotions. You understand, the lack of humility will push you to think that you are worth more than you are. You're, you're, you're able to do more than you're able to do. I used to teach security all around the country, still do at some level. And one of the things that I told to the guys that I was teaching was this very simple phrase, humility breeds ability. The more humble a man is, the more able he is concerning whatever aspect of his life uh, with respect to his action and his capacity we're talking about. Humility breeds ability. And then when we, when we read Proverbs 6.3, we see not only does humility do all these things for us, protects us really from our own arrogance, it says, make sure thy friend. So if I've got relationships in my life and I want to protect those relationships, I want to, in other words, I want to make my friendships sure, lasting, beneficial friendships, how do I do that? I do it through humility. I humble myself. I don't think that every situation needs my opinion. I have a, a, an, a, an, an understanding that my self-assertion and my self-exaltation is not really what's desired in every single conversation I have. Humility, the realization that your life lived for the glory of God is lived by the power of God, not by your own. And so we see in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, it goes on to say, and pray. That's the second thing. Pray. Pray. So understanding the first thing for me to set myself up to where I need to be heard, forgiven, and healed is humility. The second thing is that I need to be a man who understands prayer. Pray here is simply a word that means uh, the asking earnestly or humbly or the, the supplication to beseech, to make devote or devout petition to, to ask for something as an act of grace. Supplication was the word that was used there. The Oxford English Dictionary defines supplication uh, as a word meaning to pray or, or entreat humbly, to present a humble petition or a formal petition. In other words, we're going to make this formal. We're going to put it down. We're going to mark it down prayer. To be a Christian that has access to being heard and forgiven and healed by the Lord means a Christian who lives his life or her life in the reality and the value of prayer. Prayer. Most of the time, our prayer life is relegated to saying thank you to the Lord for our food and then asking him to bless the day. Or if we really get ourselves into a sticky spot, we usually ask the Lord to get us out of it. But then that's mostly the extent of our prayer life. 
Luke 11, the first 13 verses of Luke 11 gives us a context that we can learn a lot from. For time's sake, I'm just going to read you. Verse 1 says, teach us to pray. This is the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say to him, teach us to pray. Verse 13, here's what Jesus Christ says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give thee? Prayer is about receiving for others, receiving unto yourself for the purpose of others, not for your own purposes and for your own reasons. I want you to understand, a lot of times we look at prayer like it's some kind of magical genie in a bottle situation where I'm going to need something or I want something. More often than not, that's what it is. And we go to the Lord with this idea that he is the one who just is just waiting in heaven with bated breath until we ask him for the next thing that we want. Folks, I want you to understand to be heard and forgiven and healed as a way of life by our Heavenly Father, it takes humility, and number two, it takes prayer. But prayer, most effectively offered, is offered for the advancement of the cause of Christ, not for the advancement of our own agenda. Have you ever prayed and tried to not ask the Lord for one thing? Just say thank you. Just spend the entire time in prayer saying thank you. Most of us will run through the things that we're kind of obligatorily thankful for within the first 30 seconds, and then you'll have to go a little deeper, and you'll have to go a little wider, and you'll have to become a little bit more, more quiet and somber, and you'll realize the Lord is the giver of all good and gracious gifts. And once you start thanking him for the big things, you'll get smaller and smaller and smaller. Inevitably, you'll arrive at the reality that the very breath within your lungs is a very real and present gift from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that prayer may more effectively be offered to the God of heaven by simply saying thank you and then asking him to help you live worthy of the blessings he's already given you instead of asking him for a bunch of blessings which you and I may not have the maturity to handle. Prayer. This is one of the things that leads to being able to be heard and forgiven and healed when I need it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18 gives a very, very simple section of Scripture. It says, Rejoice evermore, that's verse 16. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. And verse 18 starts off by saying, in everything give thanks. So rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. This is what prayer is all about. When do I pray? Well, I rejoice. I rejoice when? Evermore. And I pray. When do I pray? Without ceasing. Continual conversation between you and your Heavenly Father. By the way, that's where the Christian life is lived, in conversation with the author of Christianity. Who is the author of Christianity? Christ. If I'm going to be a Christian and live a life in the pleasing effort of being a blessing to Jesus Christ, would it not take Jesus Christ to do that? Well, how do I do that? Prayer. What does prayer look like? Well, it looks like I'm rejoicing evermore, and I'm praying without ceasing. And verse 18 says, in everything give thanks. Now, we've heard of that before, but I want you to understand, when the Bible says, in everything give thanks, that is so much harder than you might imagine. 
Because most of the time, not only do we not give thanks that are very worthy things to be thankful for, but we would we would push against the concept a little bit of expressing thankfulness to God for things that we aren't necessarily thankful for. And that's where the reality of being a Christian comes in. Folks, listen, I've been through some stuff, and I've been through some stuff that's really hard. And the hardest things that I've been through is watching those that I love go through things that I can't do anything about. And I'll tell you this, never at one point when people that I love were going through things that I couldn't do anything about did I think, boy, thank you, Lord. I'm just telling you the reality. I didn't think that. I was begging him, sometimes demanding, to the point of even giving God ultimatums about what I wanted him to do. And if he didn't do it, I was going to have a couple things that I did. Well, folks, that's, that's not humble. And that's not prayer. That's a very secular-minded way to approach what the Bible says is the God who is a spirit. It says, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do I do that? Prayer. I do it through prayer. If you look at um, Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7 gives us a context. I'll just draw your attention to verse 6 where it says, In everything, by prayer and supplication. Everything. Give thanks. Everything by prayer and supplication. Every decision I make, every road I travel, every choice I choose or don't choose should be lived from the constant perspective of being thankful to the Lord for everything. Being thankful to the Lord for the things that, secularly speaking, you wouldn't so much enjoy to be thankful for. One of your kids gets sick. Thank you, Lord. That sounds counterintuitive. But it's not. It's not. This is what it looks like. I'm just telling you, folks, I went through some things, and it resulted in me being hurt and frustrated and angry. And I I didn't feel like anyone was listening. I didn't feel like anyone cared, and I wanted to be healed and forgiven for some things, and it wasn't until I started understanding that humility and prayer are the first two things to really finding help in a time of need, especially when nobody else really seemed to even understand what I was going through. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, very simply, continue in prayer. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, continuing instant in prayer. That word instant is a word meaning earnest towards or toward uh, toward a way in which you persevere. To be continually, constantly diligent or to attend studiously as all exercises, to adhere closely. So continue instant. In other words, continue Always adhere studiously and closely and diligently and constantly and persevere in what? Prayer. Prayer. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, I I live out here in Salt Lake City and facing the mountains as I am now, uh, east of Salt Lake City proper are the Wasatch Mountains, the Wasatch Front got a lot of snow on them still and then a lot of that's still coming down but during the nicer mornings i can get up real early grab a rifle a bible and a thermos of coffee and be four or five peaks back by sunrise and i'll find a place to sit down 
open my Bible and sip on some coffee, and I'll just talk to the Lord. You say, does he talk back? Well, yeah, not in the way that you might think. The Bible talks about the still, small voice, the conscience that bears witness of him. Pray. Pray. The Bible says, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. How do you do that? Pray. Pray. Give it to him. Find a quiet place. Find, Find a place away from men and culture and institutions. One of my favorite things to do when I was training for the ministry, I lived next to the church in which I was training in, literally right next door, and I would get a key and I would walk over into the church building, 1.32, 2.30 in the morning, and in an entirely empty church, I would sit in the pews and relive the memories that I had experienced there, and I would pray. And that helped me because I was in the building. I could see where people that I loved and still love to this day would sit, and I would look at where they would sit, and I would pray for them. And it helped me to focus on healing by focusing on the betterment and and heart and empathy that I had by the grace of God for other people. It takes the focus off of self for a little while. Psalm 5, verse 3, as well as chapter 42, verse 8, you'll find kind of a similar thing. The Bible says, in the morning will I direct my prayer. Verse 8 says, in the night my prayer unto thee, O God. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray. Psalm 19, 14 says, words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart, this is what prayer is. The word meditation there is a word that means um, intense, like a murmuring sound. The word literally means machination, which is a word that describes the act of planning or contriving for the executing of some purpose inside your own heart and mind. So what does prayer mean? Well, I can pray in the morning. I can pray in the evening. I can pray all the time. And what does that look like? It looks like a meditation, an intense, uh, like a murmuring sound that is is contriving uh, and executing some kind of purpose. I'm I'm bringing something to the Lord, and I'm asking him to take it. Whether it's a name of of an individual I love, a lot of times it's the name of my wife or my children or someone in my church or a family member. I'm bringing their name to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. I see them going through something, and it's hard. It's hard to watch. And, of course, my my will would be that they didn't have to go through it. But in the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not my will, but thine be done. And that's even hard to say because then you feel like maybe you're not asking what you should. But the word machination comes into play. It means I'm just rolling this through my mind. I'm giving my purposes to the Lord, and I'm saying to the Lord, Whatever you want, please help me to be okay with that. Please help me to be mature enough to walk worthy of that, to be helpful in the lives of other people by keeping their name in my mouth and living up to the reality of the responsibility that being a Christian means being in continual conversation and prayer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, prayer. Isaiah chapter 1, 16 through 20 gives us another context. I'll just draw your attention to verse 18, which says this, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. 
Folks, do you think the Lord's intimidated by you complaining to him? There's been some things that I've gone through. One of the things I went through was a pretty poisonous group of people here in Salt Lake City that had uh, tore up um, a, a, a different group and was doing a pretty good job at tearing me up. And um, I had come to take the pastorate of a group here that was kind of under the influence of this group of people. And one day they pulled some strings and, and, and did some things that made it to where they were definitely very clearly going to stay in control of a, a physical building and everything in it. And it, it was a bad deal. I know I'm skipping over some things here, but the reality is, is that I got to a point where I just needed to give some things to the Lord. And so I remember a, a fellow that I had talked to back in the day, he said, sometimes I'll go out to the Lord and I'll just say, Lord, we need to talk. And, and I tell him what I feel. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try that. It wasn't about five seconds into my prayer that I felt very inadequate thinking that I was going to go to the Lord and demand his attention. And it was like the Lord told me, son, you better get lower and watch the bass in your voice when you're talking to me. And that's exactly what I did. I spread myself flat out on my face in my church office. I laid there and I asked the Lord to forgive me for being an arrogant little fool. I started to pray for people. People who were trying to hurt me pretty bad. People who were trying to hurt the church. And uh, and I'll tell you the truth, I fell asleep. And I woke up hurting because it hurts to fall asleep on the concrete floor in your face. And I sat down in my office chair, a little bit defeated, a little bit feeling sorry for myself. And I got a text message from one of these fellas that was um, acting very inappropriately. He, he could, you know, prove it all legally, but ethically he was incredibly inappropriate and it was a very poisonous very hurtful text that let me know that he was gonna basically through whatever means possible take everything and one of the things that i had asked the lord was lord just tell me what to do if you don't want us to stay here if you want us to go to a different place just tell us and uh through that text i just started laughing because the lord answered my prayer he answered my prayer. Now, that guy that sent me that text to this day, <clears throat> I'm just telling you the truth, arrogant, arrogant individual who thinks that he won. He, he logistically, he got some things that he wanted, put some things in place and pulled some strings and made it all look okay. But in reality, he tore a church apart twice. And now he's got nothing and the Lord put a group of people together that he's building a church with. How did all that happen? Prayer. My heart goes out to folks like that. I don't want to see them continually go down the road of arrogance like that. But at the same time, the Lord is able to protect those who hold to the truth. Whilst that's Front Baptist Church is a very evident reality of that. How did that all happen? Prayer. Not just mine, by the way. The whole church was praying. Prayer. Meditation, machination, Micah chapter 6, 1 through 8, verse 2 says he will plead, and verse 8 says he will walk humbly. This is what prayer is all about. It is about having a relationship in which a back and forth, a dialogue, is always there, working thoughts out with the Lord in real time, as in the same idea of having an understanding conversation with a friend. Folks, the Lord 
is our friend. That's what he wants to be. That's what he wants to be. But he's not going to argue with you. Why would a perfect, the perfect God argue with an imperfect being? And so what does it look like to set yourself up for success prior to when you need it? What does it look like to set yourself up so that when you need to be heard, forgiven, and healed, those things are there? Well, it looks like being in a constant relationship with the Lord, a constant conversation. That's what he wants. First Kings chapter 8, really the entire chapter, you see an incredible scripture. Uh, verse 22 through verse 53 is Solomon's prayer. And then verse 66, the Bible says this, joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord hath done. Prayer. Prayer, it will give you joyfulness and gladness of heart. It'll give you a relationship with the divine. It'll help you to not think about yourself so much and to think about others, to be empathetic and giving and understanding. It'll help you to classify things and roll things, to meditate and machinate on things, that you see all the angles. It'll teach you how to be patient. It'll give you the right words at the right time and prevent you from saying hurtful things at the wrong time. And by the way, every time is the wrong time to say something hurtful. And so humility, it gives me, it get, puts me in a place where I can be heard, forgiven, and healed when I need it. And prayer, prayer puts me in a place where when I need to be heard, when I need to be forgiven, when I need to be healed, it's available to me. The next thing that we see in our context, Second Chronicles Chapter 7 and verse 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Here's the big one. Seek my face. Seek is a word that means to go in search or quest of, to search for by going from place to place to place, to inquire for, to ask for, to solicitate, to endeavor to find, to gain by any means. In other words, they, the Lord says, listen, if you want this bad enough, you're going to get it. Because you're going to seek my face. What does it look when? If I want to be heard, forgiven, and healed, what does it start with? It starts with seeking the face of our God, seeking his face. Psalm 119, verse 2 says, Blessed are they, it goes on to say, that seek, that seek. Luke 15, 3 through 10 is the context of the next thing that we're going to read. And in that context, you'll see this phrase, seek diligently. Diligently is a word meaning uh, with industry or uh, astutity, Uh, not carelessly, not negligently, or not uh, without exactness. So diligent means I'm going to, I'm going to, with industry and exactness. In other words, I'm going at this with a very specific plan, with a very specific purpose to see his face. Seek him. Seek him. Joy is linked to seeking. Nothing that is worth having is going to be had by accident. It will only be obtained with the work and sacrifice that it takes to get it. The worth is not in the reward alone. The worth is in the work. The worth is in the seeking. When I need to be heard, it's because I need it right now. When I need to be healed and when I need to be forgiven, it's because I need it right now. Well, what happens when I lived a life not of humility, with no interest in prayer, not seeking the face of the Lord? I can't go back and do those things so that I can get healing and forgiveness and 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 and, he, and hearing in the now. 
In other words, folks, I want you to understand, the Lord's going to give you as a Christian everything that you need for hard times to come. It's your responsibility to correctly manage those things so that when hard times come, and they will come, you're not ta- caught totally off guard. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 through 31 is the context of this verse that we see in verse 29, seek him with all thine heart. Second Chronicles 15, 4 says, sought him, he was found of them. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 gives us a context, and we see in verse 6, there, seek ye the Lord. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, ye shall seek me. You find this idea, if you seek him, if you're searching for him, you'll find him. It says it. Seek him with all thine heart. Um, seek him, and he was found of them. Folks, he's not hiding. He's not hiding. He just is perfect, and he can't be a part of a sinful world. And so he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and take away our sins and provide for us an opportunity by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance toward God to be healed of our sin. He'll hear us. He'll heal us. He'll forgive us. How? It starts with humility. It continues with prayer, and it continues with seeking his face. The word, the Bible says, they searched for him. Search is a word that means to look over or through for the purpose of finding something, to explore, to examine by inspection. You ever lost anything? The older I get, the more expensive the things are that I lose. And uh, the more willingly I go back and look for them because of the cost of them. The Bible says that's what the idea of search is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore every single aspect. I'm going to retrace my steps, every possible step I've ever taken. I'm going to look under every rock. I'm going to look behind every curtain because the thing that I'm searching for is more important than the concept of my own idea of self-worth. I'm searching. You ever seen someone who's looking for something? It's almost like they're totally and completely preoccupied with the fear of not ever seeing that thing again. They don't care what they look like. They don't care what you think. They just care that the thing that they lost is valuable to them, and they'll look like whatever they need to look like. They'll do whatever they need to do. They'll go wherever they need to go to find the thing they lost. The Bible says that sin separated us from our God. We are born into a fallen world. We don't sin. Uh, We're not born perfect and then sin and then become sinners. We're born sinners, and that's why we sin. It's proof of who we are. And so there's been something lost. Sin has stolen something. The Bible says we can seek his face, and if we do, we'll find him. We'll find him. Have you sought his face? Have you sought for the Lord? Or is this just something that we do culturally? It's Sunday, so I go to church once, because only ridiculous people go twice. And Wednesday, forget about it. I'm busy. How much time do you spend in your life seeking God? I'm talking really looking for him. Looking through the word of God on your face in prayer because you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go. And he's the only answer that you have left. That's what I'm talking about. That's what it takes so that when you need to be heard and forgiven and healed in real time, it's available 
seeking the face of God. First Chronicles chapter 6, 10 through 11, we see in verse 10, the Bible says, let the heart of man rejoice that seek the Lord. First Chronicles 22, 19, verse 19 says, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord. The idea of, uh, of setting, uh, in other words, setting your heart, the idea of setting is the idea of sinking a foundation and making yourself permanent making yourself permanent, the value of commitment over time, the value of what has been given, not what has been received. Do you understand the difference there? The value of what has been given. In other words, if someone wants to truly understand how important a gift is, they don't focus on the value of what they get. They focus on how much the value is that you gave. Do you understand the difference? In a cultural, commercialized, uh, consumeristic world, how expensive something you own means something. It's a status symbol. But when someone doesn't really have any limits on their finances, then what they give isn't really a true marker of how much they care. So instead of looking at the value objectively concerning the item that you get, Look at it from the perspective of how much it cost the person who gave it to you. Because the guy can give you a $10 gift, but he's got a million dollars. That doesn't really mean anything. But the guy who's got $11 that gave you a $10 gift, well, now that gift means a lot more. And Jesus Christ gave you everything. Everything. He gave you his life. And what does he ask in return? That we seek his face. That we seek his face. Because that's where all the value is. Numbers 15.39 tells us what not to seek. It says, seek not after your own heart. This idea, this Disney idea of follow your heart is a bunch of rubbish. It's an absolute crock of baloney. Do not seek your heart. The Bible says that the heart of man is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, 23, verse 6, thou shalt not seek their peace, the peace of people who are evil. Don't seek that. Ezra, Ezra excuse me, Ezra 9.12, nor seek their peace or their wealth. And so we have all these things the Bible says not to seek. Don't, don't seek the wealth. Don't seek the peace of those who are evil. Don't seek all that. What do you seek? The Lord. Seek the Lord. That's where all the value is. That's where everything is. And if you're claiming to be a Christian, why would you seek anything else? The Bible also gives us a pretty good picture of when to seek him. Isaiah 26, 9 says, I seek thee early. Proverbs 8, 17 says, those that seek me early shall find me. Psalm 63, 1 says, early will I seek thee. Zephaniah 2, 3 says, seek ye the Lord, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It is renewed every day. The day to seek the Lord is now, new with every challenge. I can seek him. I can seek him every day. I can seek him with respect to every decision. And if I walk humbly and pray and seek his face, I might find it very not all that bad to go through things that we inevitably will go through in this life. There are things that make you feel like you're alone, like nobody can hear you. And there are things that you will do and you will understand the value of being forgiven. And there are things, folks, that, that will hurt, and you'll need to be healed. 
Well, where does all that come from? It comes from the Lord, and it can be yours in an instant. If before I ever need it, I live a life of humility in prayer and seeking the face of the Lord and the last and final thing, which is quite important, Quite real, in all in all reality, uh, the most important, and that is the word turn. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, our text: If people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn. The word turn is a simple word. It means to stop what you're doing and go the other way. You say, well, what's the real definition? What's the deep, the deep, meaningful Greek? And by the way, the Second Corinthians wouldn't be Greek, it'd be Hebrew or Aramaic. But my point here, folks, is it's not complicated. Turn. The word, the word literally means repent. You're going north, go south. You're going west, go east. Stop what you're doing and do the other thing. Nothing ever changes when you don't change anything. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, turn from their wicked way. First John 1.9 says, if we confess, which is a word that means to turn. Acts 3.19 says, repent ye therefore. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, confesseth and forsaketh. Do you know how important that is? How do I, how am I heard and forgiven and healed? I confess my sin. And then here's the part that we don't like. I forsake my sin. I forsake it. Folks, if you're going to be a Christian, <laughs> the Bible talks about the fact that the that God will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he gives you what you want. It means he changes the things that you want. He gives you the desires of your heart, not the desires as your heart would define them. He gives you new desires. How is that possible? What does that mean? Well, it means the person who has accepted the Lord and, and uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior will confess and then forsake. Sometimes I think, well, all we got to do is believe. We confess, and then we're found right back doing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, that's not someone who's repented. That's someone who's looking for the easiest way out. Turning means confessing and forsaking. That's repentance. That's salvation. Second Chronicles 30 verse 9 says, return unto him. Matthew 9 13 says, sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus Christ has called all. He calls all sinners to repentance. Matthew 4 17 just simply says, repent. You say, how many verses are you going to go through? I just want you to understand that this is a concept that's from the Bible, not from me. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, draw nigh. Unto him and draw nigh to you. Uh, Revelation 3.19, be zealous, it goes on to say, and repent. Joel 2.13 says, turn unto the Lord your God. Luke 15.7 says, one sinner that repenteth. Ezekiel 18.32 says, turn yourselves. Acts 17.30 says, commendeth all men everywhere to repent, to repent. Mark 1.15 says, repent ye and believe. Zechariah 1.3 says, turn ye unto me. Proverbs 1.23 says, turn you at my reproof. You get the point, folks. I could go on and on and on. The Bible's full of the value of humans repenting to God, turning from themselves and turning towards God. What does this lead to? It leads to healing. It leads to forgiveness. 
It leads to being heard by the only one who loves you more than anyone else, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, this is what being a Christian is all about. It's about living a life of humility, prayer, seeking the face of God, and turning or repenting. And if I do that on a constant enough basis, the Bible says that when I need to be heard, and then when I need to be healed, and when I need to be forgiven, I'll have it. Now, I started all of this off by telling you that tomorrow's an anniversary date for me. It's a date in which someone who meant a lot to me was killed as a result of combat in Fallujah. I went through a lot over that. I blamed myself for a long time for reasons I won't get into now. When I realized that the Lord loves me, I was already saved. I wasn't living a Christian life at the time. But when I realized the Lord loves me and that I could humble myself and that I could ask for forgiveness, I could pray. I could seek his face and turn. He would hear me, and he would forgive me, and he would heal me. Folks, that was all the value and all the world to me. I did all the counseling. I did all the veterans stuff. I'm not saying that it's not worth something. It is. It just wasn't very helpful to me. What was helpful to me? The Lord. In fact, I would go so far to say that I have no concept inside my mind how people who have survived and gone through the things worse than I went through can get through it without a relationship with God. Folks, I've had bodies rolled up to me in wheelbarrows and people asking me if I could help them, and they'd been dead for two days. And these things that run through a combat veteran's mind, or sometimes people here listening have gone through things and experienced things and been victimized in ways that I'm not making less of, and these things are traumatic and they're horrible, and, and, and there's proper things to go through concerning treatment and all of that. But all of that aside, where's the, where's the one who hears you? Where's the one who can forgive you? of things you can't forgive yourself for and heal you for things that you didn't do. That's God. How do I have access to that? I humble myself. I pray. I seek his face and I turn. Paul said, I die daily. Turn, repent daily. Why? Because that's how a Christian life is lived. The Christian life is lived humbly in prayer, seeking the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and repenting on a daily basis. I was talking to a guy just this last week who had made a dumb decision, and I said, brother, let me tell you something. The only time you fail is when you don't get up. As long as you're getting up and you're asking the Lord to help you and forgive you and you're repenting and you're not going back, then that's success. You're winning. The devil hates that. We have the power to win. Through, our through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do I have access to that? Well, I humble myself. I pray. I seek his face. And I turn. And that will provide a God who hears me, a God who forgives me, and a God 
who heals me. Father, thank you for this podcast. Thank you for this time to go over these truths from the Bible. All we can do is leave these things in your hands. Help us, Father. Help us. For we are drastically, we fall drastically short in every way. Please teach us how to be worthy of the things that you've given us. We leave these things in your hands. Ask you that you would bless today and bless our service for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you. Can't wait to talk to you next time. God bless. I'll see you soon.